What do you think courage means? Brave. Brave. That is a great answer. Oh, do you know what? What? In the Stinging and Dirty Show, there's a guy. There's a guy named Brave. That's a fire truck. He's a brave fire truck. Yeah, he's a brave one. Yeah. He fights fires. How about the word courage? Courage. Courage. What do you think courage means? I don't know. Courage. You've never seen that movie. Like when you go in the dark and you thought something scary. That's a brave thing. That's definitely a brave thing to do. What do you think of when I say the word courage? I do not know. You do not know. I always thought of porridge when I was a kid. Porridge and courage. I don't know why. I was a strange child. <laughs> so you're going down the basement, but the like switch is like downstairs. Like you have to go completely down. But it's pitch black, and you get scared if something can like scare you. That's what, like, and then you like do it anyway, and mm-hmm. then nothing. Like you think there's a shadow of like a monster, and it's just like the vents. I had that last week. My lights didn't work in my basement, and there was a bat flying around down there. Ooh. That was scary. That was bravery, my good friend. My senior quote when I was a senior in high school was on by John Wayne. He was a cowboy, and he said, "Courage." Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. <laughs> I don't know. It's my little two cents. Tubing, like going no-handed. Mm-hmm. Standing up. <laughs> what? How long did you last? Twenty seconds. That's pretty good. Then I just fell on my flat on my stomach. That's more than I could do. So you didn't fall in the water. You fell right back on the tube. I get so scared that I hold on so tight that I've never fallen off in my life. I'll have to change that sometime. Maybe when you come to summer camp with me. Yeah. See what we can do. That'll change pretty quickly. (laughs) Braveheart's from Scotland. And if I'm going to be talking about bravery, i got to be talking about it in a Scottish accent, all right? All right. can't think of anybody who's better to be leading our middle school students than Nick Walters, right? That guy's so much fun. And I, he's, yeah, you can clap for that. We're talking about this whole thought of courage. And in these past couple of weeks, we've been doing this series, All Due Respect. How do we interact with people when our worldview clashes with theirs? In week one, we talked about peace. How do we do that with a sense of peace? Last week, we talked about compassion. And today, we're going to be talking about how courage weaves its way into those conversations. In the last two weeks, we've explored two scenarios. Uh, Our lead pastor, Craig Reese, has been teaching about a view that Jesus has that rattles his opponents. The first issue was a debate about taxes. You know, should we be forced to pay taxes to a government that we don't believe in? The second was a debate about authority. Is Jesus on par with Moses? Do they complement one another or do they compete with one another? And in both episodes, Jesus refuses to take the bait that's dangled before him. He doesn't escalate. He doesn't try to escape. He hits pause. He zooms out and challenges the priorities of everyone who's in the room. Now, the Pharisees, their great commitment, they're a group of religious people in Jesus' day. Their first commitment was to honoring the law of Moses. They wanted to be compliant with with a group of scriptures called Torah. They wanted to be perfectly in alignment with Mosaic law. And they live in a world where things are black or white, where you were either right or wrong. Even their name, Pharisee, means separate from. They wanted to be a distinction between them and the popular culture at large. 
But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus reveals to both them and us that you can be right on an issue and still be wrong. So the passage that we're going to be looking at today is Matthew chapter 12. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can look with me in page 977. It reads as this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went to their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, the Pharisees are a well-intentioned group of people. They want to honor the law. They want to do what God is asking them to do. So they're just reading the scriptures and say, how do we live this out in our lifetime? How do we live this in our context? And what Jesus is trying to remind them of is he goes, you can have a right position on Sabbath and still miss the point of why God created Sabbath. He goes, you, if you kind of drill down into all the fine print and you wrestle through all of these issues, but you miss God's heart for people in the process, you have failed to grasp God's intent in what's in this book. So he said, hey, remember, haven't you read in the law? So Jesus is teasing them a little bit because they're all known as experts in the law. He goes, don't you remember that one story where David is on the run from King Saul who's trying to kill him? And he and his men are starving. And the only only food that's available for them to eat when they get to the house of God is bread that is reserved only for priests. He goes, in eating it, technically they broke a rule. And the priests broke a rule in feeding it to them, but it saved their lives. He goes, so sometimes you have to look at the spirit of the law, not the letter. And then Jesus goes on to say, he goes, in theory, anybody who's a priest, they are serving the people of God on a Sabbath. They are working, but they're not breaking the law because they're creating space for other people to honor God. And then he makes it a little bit more personal. He goes, if you had a piece of property, because back in that day, animals weren't necessarily pets. They were considered property. He goes, if you had a financial investment like a sheep that fell into a hole— he goes, you would take care of that. He goes, you would, you would rescue that investment by taking that sheep out of the pit on the Sabbath day. I remember years ago, my sister had a rabbit. I wasn't a big fan of like rabbits as pets. They, you can't, they, we never taught them how to do any tricks. But the rabbit fell ill on Christmas Eve. And our family like rearranged all of our traditions so that we could get the rabbit to the vet. Because when something that you care about is in danger, you're willing to suspend the regular rules that are in play. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. 
He goes, before you guys get all worked up over what my disciples are doing or what I'm about to do on a Sabbath, it's important that you rewind and say, what is the point of Sabbath to begin with? So if we actually look at God's original injunction about the Sabbath, it's in a list of the Ten Commandments that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We read this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The debate that Jesus is having with the Pharisees is not whether or not to observe the Sabbath, but how to observe it. And initially, the Pharisees get worked up because they see Jesus' disciples picking grain through a street, off of a stranger's field and eating it as they're on their way to wherever it is that they're going. Now, initially, I, I got a little stressed out when I read this because I grew up, my parents always said, if you cut through a neighbor's yard and they've got an apple tree, don't eat their apples, that's stealing. So I, like, I, as a kid, if I read this passage, I'm like, well, the disciples, that's just like, that's just oh, theft. They're stealing somebody else's grain. But apparently, Jesus, his disciples, and the Pharisees all should have known that this was permitted under Jewish law. We read this in, um, in Deuteronomy. Uh, and we have to remember that the point of observing Sabbath is to remember God's provision when the people had nothing. So we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 23. It says, If you enter your neighbor's green field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. So again, the question isn't can they eat the grain or not. It's can they do it on the Sabbath? Is picking kernels work? Is shelling peanuts the same thing as pushing a plow? That's the debate that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. Again, Jesus' opponents are well-intentioned. But in their attempt to create an environment for orthodox worship, they were steamrolling needy people. And Jesus is trying to remind them of this point. There is a wrong way to be right. There is a wrong way to be right. And whatever positions that we land on should always consider people. So when I think about how I view the world, when I think about the things that I believe or the things that I, the convictions that I'll stand for, I need to ask this question. Am I promoting the welfare of all people or not? One of the aspects that I love about the mission here at Central is that we exist to amplify hope and life to all, to all. So I was thinking about like a group of people that might have this challenge between a policy, honoring a policy and honoring people. And what it looks like when those two issues come into collision. And I thought about Chick-fil-A. Now, I don't know about you guys, but we're fans of Chick-fil-A. It is affordable, it is delectable, and the employees are gracious and incredible. But there's one thing that I find particularly maddening about Chick-fil-A, and that's this. That on Sundays, they're always... I get angry just thinking about it, right? Because now I want a spicy chicken sandwich, and I know that one will not be made available to me because it's Sunday. They're always closed on Sunday, except when they're not. Listen to this excerpt from Mastering Civility, a book by Christine Porath. She said, In December 2015, the Chick-fil-A in Rockwall, Texas, seemingly broke with the company's policy of staying closed on Sundays. 
Employees opened the store to serve food to first responders and people whose homes had been destroyed by a deadly tornado that hit the town the day before. Operators and their employees company-wide learned about their colleagues' effort on behalf of the local community. A great opportunity for the company to sculpt civility that illust- by illustrating that being closed for business doesn't mean you aren't able to serve your community in a time of crisis. So the owner-operators of that particular Chick-fil-A had attention that day, right? They say corporate policy is that we do not open these doors. Human decency requires that we feed people who do not have access to food. So when in doubt, when having to choose between the corporate policy and people who are in crisis, we're going to choose people every single time. The Pharisees are locked into a mindset that values policy for policy's sake. But Jesus forces them to look at the real-life implications for suffering individuals. Why? Because positions should always consider people. Real people with names and faces and hurts and stories. Jesus, in Mark's version of the story, says this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. How many of you grew up in homes where Sabbath observance was fierce and strict? Okay, yeah, you got both hands up. Awesome. So you're, so, come on, how many of you grew up in homes where like, this is the deal? We're in West Michigan, so some of you are lying. I remember growing up in suburban Chicago, I was well into my teen years before my mom, like, she had this crisis of belief about whether or not it was God would frown on her if she brought groceries on a Sunday. Like, we kind of like did the checkout with trepidation because we were not sure when the lightning bolt was coming to strike us down in the parking lot. You know, because so many of us were like, hey, if you love Jesus, you will not do these things on a Sunday. Many of us forget that the essence of Sabbath was something completely other than that. And what Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees and us is this. Sabbath is a gift, not a guilt trip. Sabbath is a gift and not a guilt trip. So let's look at that for a moment. What was the gift of Sabbath? The gift of Sabbath was worship. God says, I'm going to reserve a day where you can just hit pause on everything and be reminded of my goodness to you. Sabbath was a reminder that when we were slaves in Egypt and we had nothing, God provided for us. So let's carve into the rhythms of our lives a chance to be reminded of God's goodness to us. Sabbath is a day of wonder. Sabbath is a day where it's okay to go to the beach. It's okay to sit on your deck. It's okay to soak in the beauty of creation and be reminded that God has been faithful in ways that we often overlook. It's a chance for us to experience a time of goodness with our family. You ever get a chance to be in Israel when Sabbath is being celebrated? It is not this dour, introspective time where everybody just kind of goes into house arrest. It's a time where they celebrate relationships in one another's company. Sabbath is a gift of worship. It's a gift of wonder. And finally, Sabbath is a gift of witness. See, when the ancient Israelites didn't do work on a Sabbath, and all of the pagan people around them were, they were making a statement about the goodness of God. They were saying, you know what? Even though our livelihood depends on the food that we grow, and even though we live in an agrarian society where we have to take advantage of opportunities based on weather and climate and drought and other conditions, even though we probably should be planting should be cultivating, should be fertilizing, should be reaping. You know what? It's Sabbath. We're going to take the day off. You know why? Because we believe that God is going to take care of us. Sabbath is the ultimate antidote to self-promoting workaholism. 
The reason that some of us haven't built the margin into our lives that we need is that we don't trust God to care for us or we need to prove to ourselves and to everybody else that we can make everything happen on our own. Sabbath was supposed to be a gift and not a guilt trip. And unfortunately, the people that Jesus was communicating to weren't understanding that Sabbath was the Father's gift of rest and recalibration. It was not about robotic observance, but about measured reflection for the family of God. Look at this passage in Isaiah about the true essence of Sabbath. We find this in chapter 56, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Look at what the prophet says in the same breath as, make sure you keep the Sabbath. He says, make sure you maintain justice and do what is right. Keeping the Sabbath and doing good are not mutually exclusive. And make no mistake, picking the right position is not the same as doing good. Picking the right position is not the same as doing good. There are too many people who thought that Sabbath, the goal of Sabbath was to do nothing. And Jesus says, no, the goal of Sabbath is to do good. And we do good by worship. We do good by rest. We do good by promoting justice and buying space for employees and foreigners and immigrants, even our own animals. Sabbath was a built-in kind of catch basin to make sure that people didn't get driven into the ground. Now, of course, in an ideal world, we could figure out how to do both. Do good and hold the right position. But if you have to pick between precisely following the rules and reflecting God's heart accurately, go with the heart of God and go with it every last time. Because this is the verse that Jesus quotes. Hosea 6, 6. He goes, I desire mercy. Jesus says, I have a higher priority on how you treat one another than I do on how you worship. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God. I want, when people look at your lives, I want them to see that you know God. Not that you know about God, but that you know God at a gut level. And that matters to him and to you more than your burnt offerings. Have you ever noticed that you can check all of the right boxes and miss God in the process? I can offer all the right offerings and not show mercy to my neighbors. I can follow every single protocol of the rituals of worship and not acknowledge God. I can get perfect attendance and still fail the class. I can remember all of my anniversaries and still fail to honor my wife. Our executive director, Mike McKay, told me this story about a family member who was in medical school at Wayne State University in the Detroit area. She said that she and a bunch of three-year medical students were taking a final exam. And there was a bonus question on that exam that was equal to the weight of the entire test. And that question was this. Write the name of the person who takes care of this building on the evening shift. Now, in theory, all of these students had been in that building during the evening for three years. There was no excuse for a single one of them not to know that name. Why did the professor put that question on the test? Because they knew that the risk of most medical students was to put a focus on the knowledge, focus on their agenda, focus on advancing their own careers, that they lost sight of people who were in the margins, people who were on the periphery. 
And the professor said, let's not forget, you can wrestle down all of this knowledge and fail to capture the heart of being a good physician, which is the well-being and the welfare of people. In Mark's gospel, we get another layer of emotion in this text. We read this in Mark chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, I don't know if you've ever been injured or if you've ever had a physical weakness or if you've ever had some kind of physical incapacity, but I don't know about you, but the last thing that I want to do is stand up and display that in front of a crowd of people. But Jesus says, this guy, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, because they said, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus goes, I have a question for you. What is law, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Well, they know Isaiah. They know the answer to this question. What's the right answer, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They have to remain silent. If they answer it, they will expose themselves as hypocrites. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. But why is Jesus angry? Because their hearts are hard. Because given the option between following the code and serving people, they're picking the code. Again, they are showing that there is a wrong way to be right. And they are so incensed by Jesus' response here that they actively begin planning his assassination. Now, every once in a while, I run into people who are like, hey, I get persecuted for my faith all the time. I'll say, well, talk to me about that. And we'll say, well, I have this view. And when I explain that view to other people, they push back. And I just, I just know I'm just being persecuted for righteousness sake. I'm just, I'm just doing everything that God has called me to do. And the fact that people don't like me is evidence that I must be doing something right. Have we heard this argument? Have you ever stopped to consider that sometimes the way that we hold that position is the, way that pe- is the reason that people are rejecting us? They're not rejecting what we're saying, maybe because they don't fully understand it. But they're certainly rejecting how we are saying it. Because it does not communicate honor, dignity, peace, or compassion to the people who are trying to hear it. One theologian says that the message of Jesus Christ was supposed to be good news for everyone. And if it's not good for everyone, everyone starts asking if it's good news at all. And I wonder sometimes if people ultimately are not rejecting our position, but if they're rejecting our tone. And if we're not careful in standing for the right things in the right way, we'll forfeit an audience for people to understand the majesty of Christ and the goodness of God. If you're ever going to be persecuted for your positions, let it be because you went to bat for people on the edges. Because you advocated for people on the fringes. On the margins, the outsider, the underdog, the overlooked. Why? Because Jesus teaches us in this passage that promoting people over policy calls for courage. Promoting people over policy calls for courage. Now here's here's what I find fascinating about this particular text. It says, a man with a shriveled hand was there. A man with a deformed hand was there. It never says that he asked to be healed. This is not one of those services where Jesus was just healing people in mass and he was waiting in line for his healing. That didn't happen. Here's what else we find out. This man's friends did not volunteer him to be healed. 
know, we've got that other great passage where a guy is paralyzed and his friends are so committed to seeing his body restored that they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down there and they make Jesus notice him. That's not happening here either. So why does Jesus call on a guy for a healing that he is not asking for and that other people are not volunteering him for? What's Jesus trying to do here? What's Jesus saying? Why does he go out of his way to heal that man on this day? Maybe it has something to do with the heart of Sabbath, which is what everybody was debating about. Anyway, I want to revisit a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's look at verse 15 again. It says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Is it any accident that Jesus chooses to heal a man who's having an issue with his hand on the Sabbath? Of course not, because the very point of Sabbath was to remind people about the power in God's hand. People were so busy debating about what God would allow them to do on a Sabbath that they forgot who God was. Jesus is pointing everyone in the synagogue to what? Not the laws of the Sabbath, but to the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying when we are in need, God doesn't wait until Sabbath is over to stretch out his hand on our behalf. So I'm not going to wait until tomorrow to make this man whole. I want his restored hand to remind you to be a visual reminder, a tangible illustration in this moment about how God stretched out his hand for you. Why are you withholding good from other people? It's pride. It's fear. It's ingratitude that allows us to pull our response of compassion in moments where it is required And I believe that this passage is at least reminding me that our posture is just as important as our position. The way we hold a view is as important as the view itself. And our posture should always point people back to God. Our posture should point people back to God. So here are some thoughts that I would love for you to consider going forward. Ask yourself, when I read the scripture, am I reading the scripture with the big picture in mind? Because the Pharisees, well-intentioned as they were, were guilty of coming to the scriptures and saying, I already know what I believe, I just need verses to support it. We call this cherry-picking. And God says, no, I want you to hit pause and I want you to look at the whole ark. The Pharisees are like, hey, are these guys allowed to have this, this one particular snack on Sabbath or not? And Jesus is like, time out. You guys are too granular in your view. You need to say, what was the big picture concept of Sabbath? It's honoring God and honoring people. Are we doing that? Did we do good today? Second, am I holding my position in a way that values all people? Am I holding my position in a way that values all people? Because if I'm going to be completely candid with you, my first gut instinct, my natural bias, is to hold the positions that serve me and my family and my tribe without any regard towards anybody else. That's a basic, broken human instinct. But until we name that, we can't say, oh, you know what? The way that I have been caring about the world pushes these groups of people, these individuals, these tribes, these ethnicities over to the edges. And that's not the heart of God. Lord, will you give me awareness to see how I'm holding certain positions? 
and what the implications of those are for the people in my sphere of influence. So am I reading the scripture with a big picture in mind? Am I holding my position in a way that values all people? And am I courageously challenging policies that marginalize people? Is there something that is, is there a rule, written or unwritten, at my middle school, at my high school, on my playground, in my locker room, at my place of work, on the factory floor, in my backyard, is there a rule or unwritten rule that is pushing somebody to the outside? Sometimes when we forget, when we read stories of healing in the scriptures, we forget that people who had a physical challenge, in fact, the law of Moses said, if you had a physical challenge, you were spiritually disqualified from service to God in the temple or the house of God. So if you had a deformity of any kind, you were out. Now, there was a reason that God did that to point to the restoring power of Jesus. But unfortunately, people like the Pharisees said that if you had any form of brokenness, you didn't belong. And what I love about the heartbeat, the pulse at this church is we say, hey, if you're broken and you're willing to acknowledge it, that's great. I'm broken. I'm willing to acknowledge it. It's only in the cracks of our brokenness that the grace of Jesus Christ is available to shine through. And I believe that we're working as best we know how to create a safe, sp- safe space here at this church and in this community for anybody with any issue to come through these doors and feel loved, honored, and valued because they're created in the image of God and they have a place at, this, a place at our table. So we're going to sing this song. The worship team is going to come back up and they're going to reprise some of what we've already heard. But eventually we're going to get back to that song, You Make Me Brave. And typically, Mike was reminding me after the first service, typically when we think the song, we think about a personal challenge that I'm having. Lord, make me brave because of my fears or make me brave because of my illness or make me brave to tackle whatever insecurities are on my horizon. But when we close the service today, I want you to sing it differently. I I want you to sing it as if you were sitting in that synagogue that day. And you saw a tension unfolding between people in power and somebody who is on the edges. And you know, like Jesus knows, that if you advocate for this person, it will put you at odds with these people. And Jesus' courage to stand up for this guy cost him his his very life. And there are some of us, the courage that is required to serve people on the margins, it it could require financial courage or relational courage. Spiritual courage. In some extreme examples, and this has happened to some of our brothers and sisters around the world, it's, it's going to cost them their actual physical lives. Now, the odds for, for those of us in this room for that are, are minimal. I mean, I've been reading Hebrews in my own quiet time, and the writer of Hebrews says, hey, don't worry, you haven't quite resisted to the point of shedding your own blood yet. But let's be clear, that's the model that Jesus gives us. Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life for people that don't appreciate me, don't honor me, don't even respect me. I'm going to lay down my life for them because that is the means by which they will find their way back to God. And our culture says, hey, once you agree with me, I'll welcome you. But Jesus says, even while you were still sinners, even while you were still pushing against me, I laid down my life for you so that you could find your way back into the family of God. And I want to say this, if today you're in this room or you're watching online, and you feel like you're at odds with God. You feel like you're an outsider and you feel like you don't belong. I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ came to this earth, walked this path, died a horrifying death that he didn't deserve, and rose again from the grave so that you could be forgiven of whatever it is that haunts you. 
You could be released of whatever it is that ties you down. And you could be propelled into a path of hope and freedom. And if you haven't yet found that in the arms of Jesus, I just, I want to encourage you, just get on your knees or pray in your own way wherever you are saying, Lord, I, I need you. Will you forgive me and will you restore me and will you welcome me? And if you've already done that, then our privilege is what? It's to live our lives in such a way that other people, other people can find their way back home. So let me pray for us and then we'll respond in worship together. Father God, I thank you that your love for us is unlimited. I thank you that your kindness is rich. And I thank you that you don't have to compromise your commitment to your own righteousness to love us. And God, I just pray for your forgiveness in my own life. I pray that you would forgive me for honoring my own spiritual pride more than respecting the needs of people. Thinking about how to kind of pad my spiritual resume. Trying to lift my stats. Trying to reinforce my credentials without having my heart stretched for the things that you care about. For not letting my heart be broken over the things that break yours. God, forgive us for being so committed to holding the right view that we fail to hold it in a way that values and honors the humanity of the people around us. God, make us brave so that we can fight the battles that you're fighting and not the little ones that we tend to get sucked into every day. Lift our eyes up, Lord, so that we can see your kingdom. Stretch our spirits so that we can wrap our lives around the things that matter and let go of everything that doesn't. We pray these things in Jesus' name.